Oh my gosh, it has been so flipping long since we did one of these. We took like a week and a half off. Life kind of got in the way. It is what it is. I know Joey and Matt had a lot of stuff going on. I was floored busy at work. But we have an awesome addition. We got a fourth on. Our lovely chief of marketing, Chelsea, is on today. She's a part of like every conversation we have off the air. And she always has some awesome opinions and takes on stuff and you know, I can't remember which of the other, Joey, you or Matt, one of the two, you guys was like, yeah, it's probably going to be nice to have someone who's not like a basic mid twenties white dude and add a little diversity. And I was like, yeah, it's probably good. Our ESG just went up 50%. So that's good. We probably, you know, we probably won't have a, have a notice to re rewire our entire board of directors from the fed now. So hello, Chelsea. Yeah, Welcome basic on. Basic Hispanic girl. <laughs> yeah, still. Yeah. Basic Hispanic girl adds 50% diversity to our population right here. <laughs> we check two boxes. We check female and Hispanic. That That's helped us a lot. <laughs> All right. Corporate write-offs. Here we come. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm here for, guys. Yep. And you do all our Instagram posts, which is awesome. You do such a good job with those. So we love that. Don't forget to like yeah. and follow. Make sure you double tap, post your story and all that good stuff. But I wanted to start off today with an interesting concession. I'm starting to see why like stereotypical, horrible dad style business jargon is so popular. And I used to kind of hate it. I'd be like, okay, all right, this is terrible. Why are you saying this? When someone's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to run it up the flagpole, circle back, uh, turn it over, you know, put it in their court and all this stuff. You know, they, they throw out like 40 terms that mean nothing, but they're useful. And I've started to kind of see this in my world where one, they're, com they're comfortable is like the best way to describe it. And so whenever you use one of these, someone will usually be like, oh, that's cute and funny. Like, it's awesome. And it kind of puts you at ease because business is done really well when it's done casually and everyone's kind of, you know, on the same playing field. And the second is they're almost all designed to buy you time so that you don't ever have to make a decision in the moment, which is great. When someone's like, yeah, okay, you know, sent the uh, sent a proposal over. What do you guys think about it? And he was like, you know, I got to circle back with my team. Uh, we're going to run it up, huddle up. Uh, we'll catch you next week, and we'll send you a little uh, send you a little feedback going on here. You know, I got to make sure everything here makes sense. I don't know if it makes sense yet. We're going to we're gonna figure it out, and um, I'll get right back to you, you know? Something like that. It, there's no commitment involved, and it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm, I'm like team dad business jargon now. Yep, exactly. It's thinking is hard. Making decisions is hard. Dad jargon's easy. You just hit them with it. You'll get back to them whenever you get around to it. You know, you say you'll run up the flagpole, you get off the meeting, then maybe you go, you know, you make your cup of coffee, you, you sit down, you ponder the question, you, you give it a couple of days, a couple of nine to fives, and then and maybe you, you do run it up the flagpole. And then next week they get a little email in their inbox that's like three sentences long and it, mission accomplished. There's a really, really great short Stevie Emerson video that I found. He's the guy that's... um. They run a little media company called Slappers Only. They're, I think they're really funny. These guys are based out of L.A., so they kind of take it to the extreme. But we see a little bit of it. They're just, they just kind of make fun of all the ridiculous stuff that we go through in, like, the young business world. I mean, even in, just as young adults, whether you're in college or not. I'll, I'll see if I can link the video in the show notes. It's really funny. He's on the phone, and he's just going through, like, all the terms, just trying to get off the phone with this guy. And he uses every single one of those little sayings. And at the very end, he's got a checklist and he looks, he's like, all right, we're going to this and this and this and this. And then he goes down the entire checklist and he's like, okay, bye-bye. And then I up and it just cracks me up so hard because <laughs> that's kind of what people do. But Well, there's the one thing you touched on there too that uh, that's an art and it's actually saying bye-bye. You yeah. got to you gotta nail it down. You can't just like say, you know, see you later, bye. It's, it's you give them a little bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it has <laughs> to be like a firm, confident bye-bye. It has to be. 
say your piece. Okay, sounds good. Here's what we're doing next. Okay, good talking to you. Bye-bye. <laughs> that's it. Yep, exactly. It's an art form. It is because whenever you first enter the workforce, you don't really know. No one teaches you this in college. You, you got to kind of develop it yourself. And, and once you get it down, life gets better. So there's a great, I think it's Naval Ravikant. I'm almost positive. And I, I just, I love the guy. I know I've talked about him a bunch in the show in the past, but uh, one of the quotes that I like, I see around surrounding him at some point uh, is um, he says, there's no class called business. There's no skill called business. You can't really teach it. You can only learn it. And I think that's one of my favorite kind of like quasi examples of that is that you, honest to God, would not believe you. You wouldn't believe someone if they told you that. If you're going through like your business management class and they're like, okay, we're going to teach you guys how to say bye-bye today. Everyone would be like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, this is the biggest waste of my time. But it's true. It's one of those tiny, tiny little things that everyone is on the same page about in the business world. Unless you're not. And then people probably don't ever want to deal with you. But it's something like that where everyone's on the same page and you don't figure it out until you figure it out because you're too busy learning about spreadsheets and how to use Excel without a mouse and all that. Yep. Learning the cadence of a business call is an art form and it is, it's something that isn't taught. You just learn by trial and error. Cadence of a business call. I actually love that. I'm, let's see if we can find an article or something about that because I, I really like that a lot. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll write yep. something. Okay. All right. So let's actually get into the good stuff that we have today. Uh, the only thing I have under entrepreneurship is I want to do a state of the unions, which we always do every time there's new union news. Unions are always a fun, juicy topic because they're just halfway between controversial and economics, which is always fun. So Amazon took a big L this week, kind of, sort of. Uh, the workers at the Staten Island Amazon Fulfillment Center voted, I think it was close to unanimously. I don't, I don't think it was close at all, but uh, I can't confirm or deny that. I don't think it's actually come out. But from the tone of the article, it seemed like it did. They voted to join a small independent union called the Amazon Labor Union, which is, you know, super creatively named. Uh, it has no ties to the major any of the major national union organizations. But I think it's the first of its kind. This was on CoStar, which is a commercial real estate uh, news site, and they do a lot of services and stuff. But uh, it was kind of interesting that they, they you know, kind of hit on this. And where I was kind of going with it is we're going to see, I think – what happens when a giant big box retailer, I guess you can call them a retailer, Amazon, gets hit with something like this, where now they're gonna have an increase in wages, they're gonna have probably, a, have to decrease their labor force, which means costs are gonna go up all across the board. In an environment like New York, Staten Island, or the Northeast in general, where costs are almost higher than nearly anywhere else in the country to live in the United States, I guess the West Coast probably beats them out. But we're really gonna see the consequences of something like this or the benefits. Who knows? Maybe it'll go well. Maybe they'll find a way around it. Maybe everyone's life will improve. I, at the core, the economic base of this, labor unions typically don't go well because it's just another person making money and skimming some off the top and the costs get passed all the way down from the company to the consumer. We'll get real quiet. <laughs> I'm just waiting for someone. Yeah. I know Joey's noodling on it. Are we surprised it was Staten Island? The what? Are we surprised it was New York? No, not at all. No. So, I mean, it's kind of like the Starbucks thing, too, where I know the same thing happened to Starbucks up there, but I don't remember how that vote went. Either way, it's it, it does seem to be in the, the higher cost of living areas that a lot of these votes are happening, which does make sense. And I would... I don't know. I haven't checked in a while. I think it'd be really fun to see the numbers to see if people are moving back to New York or if they're still having like a net migration loss. 
I mean, it makes sense to be in those areas where, assuming that their pay range is roughly the same across the nation, that, like, those are going to be the most that are most pinched for cash. Like, you can probably survive in Florida off the wages, but if you're up there, it's going to be a lot harder. It makes sense. Also, everything I've heard about working at Amazon is that it's as close as you get to old school factory work where like you're in there working 100% of the time. The second you stop working, you're fired. And that's a legit thing. They track you with so many different robots and different things. Like if you have more than five minutes of downtime during your day, it automatically sends a notice to your manager like, hey, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And then you can immediately be fired on the spot for that, which is wild. I've heard that too. Have you seen their commercials about like how awesome it is to work there? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and they're like super cringy about Amazon cares. Amazon will pay you so much money and give you all these benefits day one. And it's all these like really happy people just slowly moving packages from one conveyor belt to another. Well, I mean, funny enough, the man that led the union, the union, he was fired like two or three years ago from the exact factory that he was fighting for. Oh, I believe that. I believe that immediately. And if you research that Amazon actually did a very big campaign against him within their workforce. I mean, it included text messages, it included inside um, mail, email letters. They tried to say that all of his signatures were falsified, um, that supported the unionization. And I mean, obviously, the election went forward anyways, but Amazon really tried to not get this to happen. That's like... um I, it was somewhere in the southeast. I, I want to say Alabama for some reason, but I can't confirm that. Something similar to that happened within the past two years where they were having a big vote on whether or not to unionize within an Amazon factory. And the company itself went, oh, no, it might have been California. I, oh, I don't remember. But it was one of their big factories where they went like full court press, uh, like national advertisements <laughs> to places around the country to vote no on this just for everyone. They they went so hard and tried to push people into their camp, into their vote no on the union uh, union camp. And I want to say they either almost or did get sued by one of the national organizations for like, hey, you guys are really putting some dirty practices into effect. And we're all for a fair vote, but you're you're not playing fair at all. Like you just have so much power and control. Well, Amazon did say that um, they're going to fight the win. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me either. They're crazy. <laughs> they're so crazy. Yeah, they're filing objections, and they think that there was, like, inappropriate undue influence on the win. So I don't imagine this will be an easy one, and they will probably continue fighting it somehow in court for a bit. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I know I've mentioned it before. They are like, they're a literal hydra of a company. And every time in the commercial real estate world, when someone tries to do business with them, it one in like one in, I'll call it 50, one in 50 times goes really well. And that's like your money for the next three years because it's just an enormous deal. But those other 49 times, it's 20 different company heads who all have their own agenda and their own goals who are not talking to each other and trying to make anything happen with them and get any kind of development started is impossible because they all trying to undercut each other within under the same company umbrella. They're just, apparently they're just impossible. I've never tried to work with them and I honestly have no desire to. It, it seems like more trouble than it's worth, but they're just such a wild company. Like they do so much for us as a planet, like a literal planet and a country especially. But my God, do they feel so 1800s industrial slave labor? 
Yeah, I can say I would never work for them, just based off what I've heard. Even, like, if you're in one of the upper, like, you're not even on the floor. You're in the management level. It's just so shady, and it seems like any time, like, you do anything wrong, they will immediately pin everything on you and be like, wasn't us. You're the one in trouble. Deal with it. I agree. So I follow, do you guys follow Jeff Bezos on um, on Instagram? No. Oh, he is he is interesting. His Instagram is literally designed, like every single piece of it is designed to look, you know, friendly Uncle Jeff, super appealing. It's it's wild. Like his most recent one is him and two buddies. Who, I don't even know who these guys are. Just like random dudes. Oh, never mind. They're all verified. Apparently they're famous, but regardless. it's It's like him cooking mushroom risotto with his buddies and they're all laughing and smiling and it just it's it's one of those things you're like this dude's so disconnected from the mess of the company that he's made or he's in charge of all of it and he's actually a super villain you pick anybody I mean, that anything, makes... go ahead chelsea you got it i was gonna say mark as a marketing person it's probably not him posting oh yeah undoubtedly i would never think that jeff bezos knows how to use instagram not even that. I'm just sure there's someone directing the post. You know, they'll be like, hey, don't forget to take a photo of you smiling with your friend. Don't forget to do that smile, that certain pose. Yeah, but he We does... do that in marketing. Yeah, I know that. And he, he doesn't, he obviously doesn't give a shit about it. Oh, it's so interesting. I love that stuff. I know. I mean, we've had our experience getting to know a few, just because it's an interesting business model. And we, we wanted to do business in that field in some ways. We got to know a few people who work in the adult entertainment industry. And I know that a lot of them don't post their own stuff. They don't do their own replies because I mean, they make a lot of money and they get a lot of followers and they don't have enough time in the day to reply to all the people that are constantly reaching out to them, but they don't want to alienate their own followers. So they literally outsource that work of replying to these messages to other people around the world. And most of the time, whenever you respond to, like, you comment on one of these people's content and all that stuff, or you subscribe and you get access to their private messages and all that stuff, you're talking to a dude in India. Like, you're not actually talking to that person, which is really crazy. And it's just such a massive, it's, it's like the, uh, it's like the people-pleasing industry. It's, it's crazy. It's just growing. That makes it so much better. Oh, it does, doesn't yeah. it? People it's out there that are paying however much a month to subscribe to OnlyFans or whatever else. When they message it, it, it's some dude in India in like a call center type thing responding to them. That, that just makes my day. That's exactly right. I, um, yeah, I, that's another thing that I'd love to do a deep dive into as well, but I don't have the information right now. So, all right, we're at 15 minutes. Let's do tech. We got a bunch of really interesting tech stuff. I, the big headlines today, which I, today is Monday, the 4th of April for us. It's going to release Tuesday. So beginning of this week, I can say Elon Musk had to... He had to unveil his Twitter, his holdings of Twitter stock. And the reason for this is whenever you acquire a certain uh, threshold of shares within a company or a certain percentage stake of a company, you have to disclose how exactly how much you have. And the reason for that is that the SEC kind of wants the current, they want the current shareholder pool to have time to prepare and fight a hostile takeover if there is one. Yeah, I'm sure you can think back to the old movies way back in the day. Anything having to do with Wall Street, there was always a hostile takeover. It was always 
oh, we've got three shell companies. We've been buying up shares. We got 51%. We're going to kick you out and take over. And it's all the evil guys doing that stuff. You really can't do that. They kind of changed the rules so that I want to say it was 8% for a while. That was, I think, what I learned in finance school, but I believe it's changed. So the news is that yesterday or today, whatever, time change and all that, Elon Musk had to disclose that he officially now owns 9.2% of Twitter, the company. And I think Jack Dorsey's like 2.5%, something like that. So he owns over three times as much as the creator of Twitter. If you follow Elon on Twitter, he is very active. He is the king of memes, in my opinion. The dude is funny. He knows how to play the game. And he has he's accumulated a gigantic cult following. Funny thing is, <laughs> Twitter stock price jumped 25% within an hour after the notice was published. So apparently people really like this shift. <laughs> but my takeaway was from it was uh, I... I don't think he has enough time to really fix the problems that the platform has, but I do think what's going to happen is there's going to be some demands made and everything's just going to get weirder. There's only going to be more weird stuff happening in the next few years and he's going to be the leader of it. I think he'll either direct him in the, to where it needs to go or he's going to sit on the board long enough to get the ideas of how to do this on his own and then just make his own Twitter. That has been and teased. That has been teased. So a lot of people have called for that. They've said it's probably majority sweaty Twitter users, but a lot of people have said, hey, Elon Musk, go make your own social media. We will literally use yours because the entire reason that this all kind of came about was he did a poll, which is you know just like a yes or no poll on Twitter that anyone can vote on. And he said, hey, should Twitter be an open source software? And what that means is that anyone anywhere can get a look into exactly how the software works, how, how the algorithms work, how it directs you towards certain content. And open source software is incredibly appealing nowadays because, I mean, if you're TikTok or Facebook, you're constantly under fire from plenty of sources saying, hey, look, it's super unethical how you're basically corrupting kids more on that later. We have plenty of stuff to do there, but, and people in general and directing them towards content in a very unethical fashion in which no one's able, we, we're not evolved enough yet to really resist that sort of coercion. So if it's open source, you can kind of get around that unethical thing by saying, Hey, look, we're telling you right now. It's like the cigarette thing. It's the, Hey, this is addictive. It will kill you. If you put that out there, it's now the burden is now on the consumer, not on the company pushing the product, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so too. So this all stemmed from that. There was an overwhelming response that yes, Twitter should be open source. But again, it was kind of one of those things where there was really only one right answer, like nah, whatever. And then even Jack Dorsey chimed in, the, the creator who's no longer the CEO or the owner, as any, any of that stuff, even he chimed in and said, I... I take partial response, some is paraphrasing. I take partial responsibility for the monster that I've created. I think this would be a good step in the right direction. That's a ringing endorsement from the owner of the, or the ex owner and creator of the company. Yeah, I think it's pretty big. It'll be interesting to see because generally free and open source also comes hand in hand with allowing people to modify it and right. people can create add ons and that type of stuff. I know I use a free and open source flashcard uh, software and it, Basically, on its own, it's Windows 95 software. But 
there's all these people that go out there and create all these add-ons and mods and that type of stuff. You can go in, you down, you get their little code number, you type it in, and it updates it and makes it totally new and different. It would be really interesting to see how that would work with Twitter, what people would add on to make it different and interesting, like all the things that we are wanting. Someone could just go in and go, okay, cool, I did that. I made it. It's out there. Like Twitter doesn't have to do anything about it. The people that want it, put it in. The people that don't, don't. And it's super easy. Right. And think about what we've been talking about for a long time. The Twitter edit button. (laughs) That's the one thing everyone wants. (laughs) But, well, on another note, and I know you definitely, Matt, have stuff to say about this because we've talked about this before. He does all of his stuff open source. Like, I'm pretty sure all the Tesla software itself, or most of it, is open source. And Joey, you know about this as well. And the idea was, look, competition is good. It pushes us all forward. If you can do it better... You should do it, create it better. I want, I want you to put Tesla on the, like, the hot seat because I want to be pushed to create even cooler, newer, more efficient things. And it's a, it steers away from like the 1900s kind of I win, you lose mentality. It's like, oh, shoot, we're both working on the same thing. Let's see who can do it better. And then we're going to share and collaborate ideas and probably eventually merge and go together. It's very Web3. Yeah, I mean, even if you just simplify it down to like how people work on their own, like you take an individual person and you give them a task in the room, it's going to take them a certain amount of time to do that. But if you take five people and you all tell them to do the same task, they're each going to take less breaks, be more focused on the task, get more done in a certain time period. Even if there's no competition there. I mean, I know when I study for med school that like when I had roommates that are also doing it, I was like really focused on doing just med school. And now that I'm off on my own, my fiance, it's a totally different thing. And I had to kind of retrain my brain to work in a solo environment where it's just me pushing myself forward. That's right. And that's kind of an endorsement for the whole return to office thing, but that's, that's maybe different. So, I mean, think about this, like to your point, if you could clone yourself three or four times and then all merge back together at the end of the day, how would you send those three other mats out there? Like you'd probably send one grocery shopping, you'd have another one studying with you so you could do twice as much studying, and the third one would go still have a social life. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Absolutely. That'd be a dream. Yeah, yeah, it'd be really cool. And then you could come back and have the best experience. Now you can't do that because that's, you know, magic and all that stuff. But think about if you had, it's, it's like the original theory of a company, but everyone's motivation is completely tied together. And we have to fix that motivation somehow because originally and to this day, it's it's still just flat out money. Money is an okay motivator. It works really well, but the problem is it drives people towards like just wanting more and screwing other people over to get money. So if you're all under one umbrella and your motivation is we wanna build the best product possible and we have to do that together or we can get to the goal faster together, motivations align, product is better, everyone's happy, right? Theoretically. Theoretically, yes. There's no there's no there's no perfect answer. <laughs> it pisses me off to no end, but you know. <laughs> okay. You tend to put everybody in one room, you try to tell them to do all one thing, oh, and God. people are going to have everybody has a different opinion of how it should be done, and that's where chaos ensues. You're just reminding me of college projects. Oh <laughs> group projects are so horrible. <laughs> oh, I mean, so like I'm a I'm a uh, what is it? There's like there's process people and goal people. I'm a goal person. I do not give a shit how the goal gets done as long as it gets done. Some the process people I think hold us up, but that's just because I'm on the other side of that equation. <laughs> the same way, there's a lot of people that like to sit around and like ponder over how things need to get done, and I'm like, let's just get shit done. I don't just care if we get there. 
we got a time limit. We got a lot to do. Yeah. Let's get shit done. We'll move on. We can like move this out afterwards. Yeah. You guys are wasting time talking about how we're going to do it. Just do it. Yep. That's funny. Okay. All right. Uh, other two, you guys have anything else on Twitter, Jack, uh, any Elon, anything? Nope. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I got a new one. This one's super short. Just want to throw it out there because I thought it was interesting. I recently heard the term cord cutters used to describe younger consumers. And it was in reference to people who prefer audio content to visual. And so, I mean, it's ironic saying this as we're recording a podcast, but like podcast consumption has gone up as video consumption has gone down. And that's relative to population because as population increases, theoretically, you know, video consumption still does go up. But that's just because there's more people in the world and there's more content in the world. As a percentage, Pod, audio content has risen and video content has fallen. It's just a fact. Let's see if I can find those numbers. I can't. No one cut my head off over it. But I thought it was really interesting. I, I've never heard the term cord cutters before. I think it's kind of cool. I think I'm technically a cord cutter. I mean, I have wireless headphones. We're using wireless pretty much everything nowadays. thought it was cute. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, traditionally, I've heard uh, people cutting the cord in in terms of getting rid of cable and moving to streaming services only. But in this sense as well, I agree. Um, Because whenever you're focused on audio, you can multitask. I can listen to a podcast and work at the same time or listen to music and do work at the same time. But I can't watch a video and consume a video while also filling out a spreadsheet or doing homework or, or having to divert my attention elsewhere. And likewise goes for driving or any of the other multitude of things you do while you're listening. I agree. So I got a question for you. Do you think our brains are speeding up in our ability to consume or filter at least multiple streams of content coming in? And where I'm going with this is that I don't, I think the, the old saying that, you know, only 5% of people can actually multitask and of those 5%, 90% of them are women. I. I don't know where that science fact comes from. Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that from several places. And I know for a fact I cannot multitask. But to your point, if I'm listening to something, uh, call it a podcast, while I'm doing work, my brain can filter that background noise. And if I hear something in there that catches my attention, I can stop what I'm doing right away and shift over to what what I'm listening to and say, oh, wait, that caught my attention. But everything else pretty much just goes in one ear out the other with the subconscious filtering happening. Do you think we're speeding up to be able to adjust to that? Or I don't really know. If it's we're speeding up, I just, I think maybe our, our attention spans are maybe getting shorter. I need something else to, to capture my attention during the day. I can't, I'm not uh, just a one track guy. I can't focus on one thing for eight hours in a row and not get burnt out. But whenever I have something else to maybe capture my attention for five minutes here, five minutes there. It's refreshing then to dive back into work and devote myself for the next 60 minutes solely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree with the whole attention span thing too. I mean, just our consumption of screens and blue light is absolutely narrowing our attention span. So one of the big sayings that goes around in the the Twitter entrepreneur, uh, I don't don't really know what to call the space, but like all the the super hype guys that are all trying to build stuff all over Twitter is... uh, you don't have eight productive hours in the day. That's a myth. Most of your workday is actually wasted. You have two productive hours, and there's it's that's split up into like 15-minute increments throughout the day. And you need to know when those 15-minute increments are happening so you can just maximize them. You get your inspiration, hit it hard, sprint. You lose the inspiration. All right, well, there's no reason to be sitting there pretending you're doing something. You might as well just rest or do something you enjoy until the next burst of inspiration comes along. And the shift away from a, a straight-on eight-hour workday 
I think it's really cool more towards we know we only have so much productive juice in us per day instead of burning out let's just let's just fire up when we need to fire up yeah there's a whole method of working based off this it's called the pomodoro method and you can look it up there's pomodoro timers online you let's can get them added to your chrome browser everything else i can get them added to my flashcard software even and basically you get a set amount of time let's say it's 25 minutes and then the timer goes off you get five minutes you do whatever you want you play on your phone you read a book do whatever then you jump back in and it's based off john's theory of rest and sprint you sprint for 25 minutes and you rest for five and when i'm like most productive is when i'm employing those type of techniques where i like for 25 minutes i'm just getting things done as much as i can and then i stop and it takes me time it doesn't have to be 25 minutes you can make it an hour and then 10 minutes or whatever else you want it to be but like find what works best for your range and then do that i wrote that down or i wrote down my I, how i think it's spelled under the show notes so that we can make sure we, i want to link something to that because i think it's a really cool idea and to be fair it is not my theory it's the it's someone else's where i, I might be naval who said it where it's the the work like a lion where you you sprint for this super short amount of time throughout the day, you catch your food, you eat your food, and then you rest the rest of the day. And that's what you do. But while you're sprinting that in that short period of time, you're more effective than the whole rest of the day combined. And I, I don't know if you guys have experienced this. So one of like the biggest moments where I kind of realized I was like, oh shit, like I'm, I'm an adult, like I'm, I'm figuring out how to do things was I'm, I've learned to recognize when those bursts of inspiration come around. I've never had that in my life. And so like when one of those bursts comes around, I know like, don't waste this. I don't care how lazy you feel. Do not waste this because it will be gone. And so you feel that inspiration, get up from whatever the heck you're doing, go do something, go do what feels right right now, work on it, work on it hard, work on it well. And then when it goes away, don't feel bad about yourself. Just go back to whatever the heck you were doing before. Yeah, and it's Pomodoro like the tomato. I, I put it down there, I corrected it for you. Never, I totally agree with that. And I also feel like one of the biggest things along with this is you gotta start your day doing what you intend to do. Like if I get up and I don't have class till let's say 11 and I watch Netflix or whatever till 11 because I know I'm not gonna get that much done and then I go to class where I don't get anything done because lectures are a waste of time. And then I start at like one o'clock I continue to not get much done all day long. I, I, I've pretty much done my whole day resting and my brain still wants to rest. But if you get up and you start doing things and you continue to do those, that's how your day is going to track the rest of the way. I'm not one of those people that's going to get up at four in the morning like The Rock and go for to the gym and then go for a run right afterwards. But like start your day doing what you tend to do, uh, what you want to do for the rest. And then like it'll track that way for the rest. You'll be fine. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And also that's, you know, our good friend Chance Galloway Fitness, who we I'm sure we can plug in. The Relentless Life with Chance Galloway is a super fun show about fitness life and all the all the awesome questions that he pursues. He and I disagree on a lot of stuff, but I like the way that he pursues his questions. So give him a look. He's on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcast. But to your point, I I do completely agree with that as well. And I got a quote for you, and no one's gonna know where this is from. It's super unknown. It's okay. If anyone does Send us an email, submissions.feelgoodfinance.gmail.com. I'll Venmo you 50 bucks just because I'm so confident no one knows where this is from. And the quote is, if you don't know what to do, do what's right and do what's in front of you, but not necessarily what's right in front of you. And I love that. And I always think about that too. Like if you're sitting there and you ever get kind of like one of those waves, you're like, holy cow, like I don't know what I'm doing. Nothing's really going right. Nothing's working. Just do what's in front of you. Like if you have something to do, 
do it and then do what's right. Because if you know you're doing something that's right, you don't have a reason to feel bad about it. You're good. Stick to your morals, do your work, make it happen. Boom, mic drop. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm Googling it right now because it sounds extremely familiar to me and I just can't, it's like right on the tip of my tongue and I won't be able to focus for the rest of the day if I don't look up who said it. I'll tell you after the show. You may have read the books, but I don't think you have. Um, I just found it online too. Yep, yep, that's okay. That's all right. You don't, you're, you don't qualify for the 50 bucks, but. <laughs> okay, all right. Where were we? I, I lost everything. Okay, all right. So we got, oh no, we got one more thing for tech and this is perfect. We're at the halfway and so we'll get moving. One more thing. Um, so John Deere recently, when I said recently, it was like today whenever the article came out. I can't remember where I saw the article. It may have been Wall Street Journal. It may have been CoStar. It may have been one of those. But they put out that they are developing self-driving tractors. And apparently they're about half a million dollars a pop. But I think this is one of those inventions that was a, it's a consequence of the situation we're in right now, which is fewer farmers, more mouths to feed and harsher economic conditions. And so we've, we've gotten to the point that we, the three of us, and now number four have been talking about, which is you either have to produce more, have less people, or produce more efficiently. Like those, those are your only ways forward. So this is produce more efficiently, which is good. This is, now we can automate farms, we can create more food and hopefully an organic matter, and maybe not because you know, everything's GMO-ified nowadays, but the, the point is that if you can produce more food with fewer people involved, you can sustain a larger population in a more efficient, cheaper fashion. And cheaper just means we can we sacrifice fewer resources in other places, which means little Johnny can have his Corvette and everyone can be happy, in addition to having all the food that we currently have on our public shelves. Yeah, I don't think this is relatively new technology. I think it may be a new twist on it because my understanding is, is A, these tractors cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to start with, the brand new ones, because you're not just hopping in your grandpa's John Deere tractor and putzing around and it's all nice and dandy and it's a big diesel engine, whatever. But now they're a whole tech hub in there and it tracks the plots of land. And I don't think you don't even drive it. Like the most of the time, it's just like a farmer or a farm hand, whatever they sit up in there and they just kind of monitor it. And it does pretty much everything for you. You just have someone sitting in there kind of like the state of uh, full self-driving cars right now. You have someone behind the wheel, but it's doing everything for you. I mean, otherwise when you've got tiny little rows of plants in a field, human error enough is, is you're going to squash a whole bunch of them because we can't drive in a straight line for that long, but these things have to do it on their own. Otherwise, we're going to run over a whole lot of vegetables. That's right. Noodle on this for a sec. So we've talked about plenty of times in the past how self-driving is just absolutely not there yet. It has it has kind of failed in almost every single way except for like the one two-minute example that Tesla put out in San Francisco of the car accurately navigating the neighborhood. But it pretty much doesn't work. And the reason it kind of doesn't work right now is because there's so much other outside human error involved in driving on a highway. There's so many people not paying attention, doing stupid things, absolutely misusing their vehicles on the road. When you're on a farm, there's not much else happening around there. I feel like it's probably possible to program a vehicle much easier to do the yard work that is involved in a long, tedious farm day. 
Yeah, especially when it's so easy. Like, it's literally linear plots of plants. It has the lines to follow. Like, yeah. it's not even like you're on a road and things are kind of like, and it's raining and it can't really see the white lines. No, it should be like bright and clear. You've got green plants in this line, green plants in that line, and it just goes right between them. And you can use GPS. I feel like this is just a perfect use of self-driving technology, and I really like it. I, I think we should divert most of our resources away from trying to get consumer vehicles to do self-driving and put it towards making driving tests harder. But focus, like self-driving should be semi-trucks and farming and... God, what else? What am I missing? Probably like, uh, thinking like like ships on the ocean. I would think like giant supply carriers, so we don't have to have three people just stuck on a boat for like six months. That sounds horrible. Maybe buses. The only issue yeah. with the shipping would be the ocean isn't very calm. Yeah, no, yeah. and it's not predictable either. So that's very unpredictable. Of course, yeah, I totally agree. I don't know. You know what? I'm just throwing stuff out here, man. Just throwing stuff out here. I'm totally for harder driving tests, but I think we need all of us to have them little progressive plugins or whatever that tracks how you drive because I know there's plenty of people that can pass the driving test, but then they get out on that road and they are a terrible menace to society. Yeah. I want it to notice and recognize, oh, you are a terrible driver, and then it just like turn off your car. <laughs> you cannot drive no more. Yep. Yep. The yeah. issue with the progressive app, because I had it in my insurance because it does give you a discount, is that it will track all driving so it doesn't just track you it tracks you the second you get in the car so that means it affects your insurance even though you're not the one driving because the app thinks you're always driving that's weird they have some that plug right into the obd port of the car so it's car oh, specific then i mean anybody who drives that car would have it or it's just a little dash plug in whatever like i get the app ones that does make sense but like the ones that are car specific would be a pretty good solution as someone in Miami, I do wish the driving test were harder. Oh, yeah, Miami. <laughs> oh, God. You couldn't pay me to drive there. Ever Honestly, so often, you can pay for your license down here if you really want to. Oh, Miami driving's horrible. Ever so often, I get that, like, 24-year-old drug dealer that's, like, speeding through traffic in their BMW, cutting everybody off, weaving back and forth. I'm like, dude, I just want to ram you off the road and like just help society out a little bit. Like, I can't stand you. You're you're gonna kill someone, not yourself, probably someone else, and it drives me so crazy. A fun game if you're ever in Miami is look for the Mercedes or BMW with the heat tag. They cannot drive, most likely. <laughs> Specifically, that combo. It is a game that me and my friends play every single time we're on the road. They can never drive. Don't worry. We get them up here, too. They're the same way. <laughs> it's, it's the exact same thing. <laughs> oh, God. It's wild that we all have the same experience with the same assholes. <laughs> it's that or the 85-year-old that's on so many different drugs that they barely can see the road, and they're just going oh, 15 <laughs> miles under the speed limit and still find a way to brake check everyone when a squirrel runs across the road. Oh, they're God. the worst, too. That's horrible. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you live in... You live in Southwest Florida, so yeah. <laughs> yep, that's, that's one thing I can't believe we haven't adapted or adopted yet. Why is there not an age where once you hit it, you have to retake your test? I don't even care. It could be every five years. I mean, you should not get to pass a test one time and then you get that privilege for the rest of your life until you die. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is, that's living in a bizarro world. It's There's a... nothing else that that applies to. It's, I do like, think oh. it's interesting that you have to renew your ID. Is that what it is? Re renew your license, but like no retest. Just get a yeah. new license so it looks prettier. 
Yeah, you know why that is? Because you just pay a fee, and the fee goes right into the pockets of the people in charge, and they don't give a shit past that. I tell you right now, yeah. follow Actually, the money. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares if you can't see and you're senile? You know, maybe you kill a couple people a year in car accidents, but hey, as long as you're paying. Right, to be fair, I see way more headlines for the younger people and the older people. So. Oh yeah. There's so many people down here that are on like Ambien, which is like it's a sleep aid, it's a benzo, just kind of like uh, Xanax. Oh. So like they're on these things, and one of the big red things that it tells you is do not operate heavy machinery, which is definitely means cars. And these people get on the road and drive the next morning still under the effects of these things, and it blows my mind. That's a bummer. Yeah, I don't want to hit too hard on the uh, older generations. I don't know if that's totally fair, because, I mean, the younger generations are pretty bad, too. Like, we live in a college town for enough time that we basically learned that humans are just never meant to drive white Jeeps. <laughs> God. Every 19-year-old girl with a white Jeep. I'm going off-roading over the curb of McDonald's. <laughs> terrible okay i think this is a great segue into our car segment today isn't that right <laughs> perfect okay all right without offending more people <laughs> we so ferrari officially i think it was like the end of march it was like march 23rd or something like that they officially announced kind of announced it was like a kind of a stupid way of announcing their new suv on instagram and i'm super upset about it they didn't announce anything about it they just said it was like more things to come, more info later in the year. And it was it was clearly a picture of the front of an SUV, and which just bums me out because all I could think is like, well, well, now I need a new favorite car manufacturer. I've been a Ferrari guy for as long as I've liked cars. I've always loved their design. I think everything about the brand is wonderful. It's just, it's like, it's racing heritage. It's all about, this is the, this is the purest vehicle you can have. It is literally an engine, a simple computer, a transmission, and four wheels. And that is what it is. You're, it is designed so that you feel everything going on. You're in tune with the car. You can just rip it around a track. And they're building a damn SUV. Like, I don't... That <laughs> goes against everything they've ever said and stood for. And Enzo Ferrari is rolling in his grave thinking about it. Yeah, it's hard to pick a brand nowadays that, like, kind of sticks by those old ways of, like, make a car simple, make it beautiful, don't uh, go with the trends. And I hate to say it, but one of the best examples of this is Bugatti. And I typically dislike them just because every 11-year-old, as soon as they figure out cars, they're like, Bugatti's the fastest car. It's so cool. It costs millions of dollars. Oh, my God. And I can't stand that mentality. And that makes me dislike the car as a whole for that reason. But they're fantastic. And their whole mentality is, is we're going to make it classic. We're not super heavy in tech. We're going to keep things old. We're going to keep it analog, something classic, that something that you could have this car and 50 years from now, someone's going to hop into it and it's still going to look good. Matt, I think you'll like it because it has a 16 cylinder engine. No, I don't even like because that. I like the whole premise they have going into it. I don't care about the 16 cylinder engine. I like the classicness of it. You know me, I like old cars. So it's not the four turbochargers? <laughs> it's not the fact okay. that it has 1,600 horsepower? <laughs> that, that might appease the 11-year-old me, but uh, nowadays I want something a little bit more classy. If you're a car guy, you still have a very prominent 11-year-old somewhere inside you. I know, but we try to suppress that 11-year-old away and make better decisions. No, I'm just messing with you. I know that that is your appeal because you're a classic muscle car guy, and you like them, correct me if I'm wrong, because they're simple and you can't – you could literally go in the garage and fix something on it with a wrench kit and a screwdriver. And that's – yeah. 
that's your thing. Yep, and I like cars with curves, and they had curves in the 70s. Give me an old 70s muscle car or a 70s Porsche. Oh, I'm happy. Okay, so this is great. I didn't plan this, but one of my favorite Twitter follows, which is Car Dealership Guy, love him to death. He's awesome. He always replies. He's, he's great. He recently said, this is a guy who just owns a bunch of car dealerships and tweets about what he sees and what he thinks about the market. And honestly, he's really good about sharing how people can make money in this market. I, I've made an undisclosed amount of money at the IRS um, just basically <laughs> off of his unsolicited advice on what's going to happen in the future markets. He's pretty much always right. So what he said is, look, there's a super undiscovered market here. And this is the one thing he said that I really don't agree with. He said there's a super undiscovered market that no one's taking advantage of. All someone needs to do is make a super, super simple. What? Who said what? Okay, whatever. So he said someone needs to make an incredibly simple, cheap car. We're thinking like under $5,000 that just straight up runs, has an engine, transmission, and wheels, and anyone can afford it. And it will just, it'll survive to 100,000 miles, and it won't be fun, it won't be sexy, it won't work really well, but you can get it. You can get one at any time, because pretty much everyone in America needs access to a vehicle unless you live in a major city. And I agree with that. And the one that people proposed was... It was like a 90s Metro Geo, which is an ugly car. It looks like a 90s Civic, um, but that was the thing. It was really cheap. It ran like it needed to. didn't have any of the bells and whistles, but it did what it did, and you could work on it yourself, and I'm a proponent of this. We need that basic car. Make it modular to some degree like a Jeep where I can put whatever add-ons I want on there. If I want to put bolt-on things on the engine, make it a little bit more sporty, I can but make it simple and do the job that is done. And I think it'll sell a whole lot. I think this product only works if it's not butt ugly. All I can think of is a smart car or like Tata Motors, which owns a bunch of stuff. It's an Indian company. I, I don't know what their holdings look like nowadays because they just, it always changes in the car world, but they have, they have a couple vehicles like this that they sell over in Asia and Europe and they're so ugly. And you know, you look at it and you say, okay, well, John, quit being an asshole. It's a car and it's a car that you couldn't afford before and now you can, but hey, we're super spoiled over here. No one's gonna buy that. Even if you can, they're gonna take on the debt and get the get the stupid, you know, Toyota Camry, the brand new that's somehow still cost $30,000. Like all of our, all of the brands that we have here that used to be your, cheap as dirt you can get it for anything brands even kia think about they they aren't that anymore they've all gone towards the like best value brand which is you're gonna get all the technology you're gonna get a sporty little four turbo it's gonna look it's not gonna look like what everyone expects from a honda civic or like a kia sorrento or something like that it's gonna look half decent and be cool and have all that tech and the cost of that is the cost i think it would nail two markets specifically it would nail the new drivers that are into cars yeah. every single guy in college that drives a old early 2000s or late 90s civic it would nail that market because they could buy it they could modify it how they wanted and it would do exactly what they wanted it would also nail the boomer generation the dads and all those that used to have those cars that you could work on and do what you wanted also the ones that probably don't care as much about what car they're driving anymore. They want something to get to and fro, but also something they can work on, something they can teach their kids about. Those are the car, uh, markets that it's going to nail. I buy that market analysis. I, I totally buy that. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Um, 
I had not I thought think about we'll that. Spread one. from those. Once those markets pick it up and more people figure out, oh, this is something I can do. I don't have to go to the quick lube and pay a hundred dollars to get my oil change done or to do any of the other maintenance because it's simple now. You can see it. It's easily labeled. It's color coded. We'll make it easy for everyone. Even mm-hmm. like, I think they'll sell a whole lot more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm willing to buy that. I think. If you wanted to make money in the next 20, 30 years, which is a long time frame that most people really aren't willing to look towards, and I don't blame them because you have to eat today. If you really wanted to set yourself up to be the next influential car company, you need to make a small electric pickup and you need to make it affordable and you need to make it not look stupid. And if you can do that, when a bunch of companies have tried, they just kind of like overworked it, too much tech, small, electric fast charging pickup truck you will be a billionaire (laughs) everyone would buy that everyone so you want electric tacoma yes tacoma's got bigger they used to be small it was also the same as the gmc sonoma the chevy s100 i think or s10 something whichever those were they were all the small single cab work trucks you could load up a couple long gear in the back and you could drive around your neighborhood. I had one that was actually my first car prior to my Firebird. And I did, I loaded up long gear in the back of that thing and I drove around the neighborhood and I did people's lawns. It was perfect for that. Yup, I'm talking a two seater pickup truck, small as it gets, not even Tacoma, not even the Chevy Colorado. Two seater pickup truck, normal size bed, rear wheel drive. It will sell, it will be, it needs to be affordable. It needs to be under like Oh, God. I mean, the valuations don't make sense nowadays. So it needs to be cheaper than, call it a brand new uh, Kia Optima, maybe. I Think of, like, what, you, what, what would you get if you were buying a 16-year-old their first car and you needed it to just not be a beater but also not be fast or cool in any way? No, I'm trying to calculate this right now. How much I spent on my car in high school. Yeah. Mine was a Ford Escape, right. and it was great. It worked. And it I was, remember that car. They got me from A to B. Yep, it worked great. And it was, yeah, it was a car like that that you could go get for, oh, God, like 10000 bucks, probably something like that nowadays. Or maybe not nowadays. I don't know. It's, ah, damn it, this conversation doesn't work because the valuations are whack. <laughs> so, well, right now, the market makes no sense for cars. No sense. None. So for me, what I did mine in high school is I spent 10 grand on a car. And this is at 16 back in like 2015, give or take 2014, 2015. And that 10 grand now is worth roughly 12. So like you need it under 15K for it to be an affordable first car for people. Yeah, but yeah, but that those inflation and, numbers are all tough to calculate. <laughs> That's you're saying I'm using the US Bureau of Labor Statistics to calculate this with their CPI inflation calculator. Yeah, but they're liars. <laughs> they're all liars. Yeah. But it's as close as we can get for the purposes of this. I know, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Okay, fine. You're right. You're right. Go ahead. So 15K is pretty fair. I mean, back in that day, I had money from moving lawns, so I paid cash, but like. 15K, I feel like you can get a pretty low payment and you can make that payment through high school and college. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think that does make sense. Hmm. 
All right, that's something I need to on. I don't know. I, I I do think if you could somehow repurpose all the broken down cars that are out there too, because I mean it's, it's still just metal. So that's eventually everything's going to get so expensive that it's going to be cheaper to repurpose the metal in broken cars to do that, which is. I hate to sidetrack because I, I, we do have one awesome car conversation and a little bit of other good stuff left. But so this is happening in the real estate world where the the values are getting so inflated and so crazy high that we have to look at what is repla- replacement cost as opposed to acquisition cost. And what that means is, should I buy this? And it's a yes if the cost to buy it is lower than the cost that it would be to flat out knock the building over, scrape it down, and build a brand new one. And historically, those numbers all kind of make sense. You're like, okay, cool, like this thing's a little overpriced, I'm not gonna buy it. Oh wait, no, I can get this at a discount, I can knock it down, build a new building, and resell it, and still make a profit. If those numbers work out, do it. Problem is nowadays, cost you so much flipping money to get labor, construction, anything done. It's so, everything's whack, it doesn't make any sense. But, I think in the car world, eventually, the replacement cost for vehicles is going to make sense to where we can go get old metal, grind it down, fix it up, and just straight up process the materials into making new cars and car parts. But we're not there yet, but we will be eventually. That's part of my modular argument here is make it extremely modular, all the same bolt-on like points. Yeah. Make it so that all the panels bolt-on are the exact same thing. So essentially, you could go out and we'll take our new car that we're talking about making that's under 15k extremely modular and when you buy it it is nothing but a chassis and a and like the cabin that is built the rest of it you get to choose so you can pay more and you can get a sportier look and you go and you buy the front bumpers the hood the uh, the quarter panels and all that type stuff and then you can do that or you can get an older model and it's cheaper and then if someone runs into you, you go to a junkyard and with one that has perfect panels and you just unscrew it and you pop it right on and they fit for five years, 10 years, however long, it's all the same. You can just take these parts, unscrew them, pop them on and it's all good. Yep. That's more towards your argument towards why you like the old cars too. It makes sense. I had an interesting experience this past week. I had to go get an oil change and so I use the same garage. It's the garage I worked at. Love the guys. Support them all day. I, I promote them on Instagram all the time so go look if you need to. But they recently hired a new tech. Uh, he's a guy straight from Germany, had a full on accent, awesome dude. And so we changed my oil together. Just, I mean, I could do it myself, but like it's, you know, he had to be there and all that stuff. Just, you know, company policy, whatever. So we're doing this thing and he's like, oh, he's like, I've never worked. I, I don't want to imitate the accent because I feel like that's offensive and annoying. But he said, oh, like I've never worked on American car before is like, I, I pretty much only work on German cars. It's a European shop. So. He said, it's very interesting. He said, it's in fine condition. It looks very simple. And I said, I said, yeah, I, was like, I have to assume that it's more simple than most German cars. And he said, yeah, it's true. But the only issue is the reason they don't have a lot of American cars over in Europe is because our bolts are different. And so that means it requires different tools and different methods of fix. And that makes it more costly because they have to, they just don't have the tools for it. So I know, and I'm sure you know, I don't really like German cars. I, I'm not a huge European supporter um, besides Ferrari up until the last few weeks. But the one good thing is that if you have a German car from anywhere between like 2005 to 2018, you can you can actually sub parts from different generations of that same car in onto your other ones. So I, I mean, I know guys like the, the Volkswagen Golf GTI is a, is a good example because it's one of the most modifiable cars on the planet. 
if you have a Mark V, you can actually take some of the pieces, the Mark VI, and swap them onto your Mark V, which is a different generation. It's a totally different car. And you can make that work. Say BMW has the same thing. Like a lot of the, like the 335s, which is one of the most, that's one of those well-known models for like every 16-year-old wants a BMW 335 with 125 miles, 1,000 miles on it just because it's got a twin-turbo V6 and they don't care how much oil it leaks. But it's cheap power. So you can still swap pieces of other similar vehicles onto that car and make it work because they all have similar bolts and similar tools required. So that's kind of the appeal. Does that does that actually like add anything to conversation? Have I just been ranting? No, it makes sense. I mean, you're Thanks. arguing the same point I was. Yeah. And I think that's extremely beneficial, especially when the cars look totally different but can still use the same parts. I mean, I remember with my Firebird, the window motor went out and I ripped something out of a Chevy in a junkyard and I could put it in mine and it worked fantastic. And that's awesome when you can go and these places are all over. You just got to go to a slightly shady portion of town <laughs> and they have these car junkyards and you go in there and you, it's like you pull it, you go in, you take your tools, you take the parts out and you bring it to them. Typically they either price it based off the part or by weight. Weight is even better. And then you're good and it's really cheap compared to going and buying a brand new part from the company or even a reproduction part. The only problem is you have to know exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, but I mean, even most of the stuff that you're going to be able to do and replace on your own, it's not that hard, I would feel. I mean, most people aren't going to be going in there trying to rip out a 2JZ engine out of an old car and try to swap it into theirs and then figure out how the mounting is going to work for that. Oh, I would hope not. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's do uh, the DeLorean rebrand and I want to get one company spotlight out of the way and then we can wrap up. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So Joey, you sent this to us on Twitter and it made me really happy. It, it like totally made my day. So DeLorean's a company that's kind of been out of commission for a while. I think the guy who founded it died is what we were looking into because we did like a bit of a, we did like a medium dive into DeLorean a few weeks ago. I want to say where we looked into how there's like one shop somewhere in the Midwest that is still operating on the remaining 6,000 or so DeLoreans that are existing on the planet. I mean, this is, this is a car that's famous from back to the future, awesome movies. And it's also famous for being a truly terrible vehicle. Like it just wasn't good in any way. It didn't make any power. It wasn't efficient. And the only thing it really had going for is that it's really sweet looking. <laughs> like it's just really cool. And they're, I, I'm gonna let you take it away, Joe. I guess they're getting a rebrand. Did you look into it at all? Yeah, I, well, I read there. They had a little press release today, and they have an electric vehicle coming out here. Um, they don't have a release date for it, or even like a, a target. It's still in concept phase. But they're the the announcement was essentially one of those things where they announced that they're going to have an announcement of the concept come the fall. Um, so, at Pebble Beach on August twenty first, they will have the concept displayed on the concept lawn, but three days earlier, they will put out all their materials and the official image and what it's going to look like and the, the prototype for their next generation of DeLoreans, which are going to be electric vehicles. And uh, their chief marketing officer said today, excitement is rising like the doors of our iconic sports car. And we are revealing the next generation prototype three days earlier than planned on the most prestigious stage at Pebble Beach. So it was an announcement that you're going to get to see it three days earlier than anyone else that's announcing anything at Pebble Beach. It was an announcement of an announcement of an announcement. 
Yep, essentially one of those. But um, it's exciting. You know, I'm excited to see it. Uh, definitely intrigued by DeLoreans being that I'm a, a sci-fi nerd. I like the old movies and Back to the Future and all that good stuff. So I'm unfortunately too young to have owned a DeLorean. Maybe that's fortunately, depending on who you ask. But uh, I would definitely be someone who's intrigued at purchasing one if it's in the reasonable price range, as in the Tesla price range. One of our family members actually had one. Remind me to tell you about that later. But Ooh. I, uh, this car was meant to be electric from from the beginning. It's its whole history and everything, and the Back to the Future movies. Like it all makes sense. So I mean, you played Cyberpunk, right? Yeah, yeah. I, the the first six hours, the the good portion of it. That's kind of what they based the car there off of. Was it's like the I forget what they call it, like the Quadra or something like that. But there's some super futuristic, awesome car, and they based it off of the DeLorean. Yeah. I remember that. It looks exactly like it. Yeah. And I think the DeLorean is perfect for re-unveiling itself in this whole new electric world because when it came out, it was peak 80s tech. Oh, yeah. When you look at the dash, it had all the different uh, RGB lights on it, and it was super 80s Star Trek style, like all that junk. Kind of futuristic, kind of not. And obviously we moved way past that. But now it's going to come out, and I assume it's going to do those similar things with kind of a somewhat new restyling. And I hope they really don't ruin it and do like all these other companies have when they bring a name back. But I think it's perfect. They can kind of capitalize on all the weird, uh, kitschy type things that are coming out with electric cars. I'm knocking on wood before I say this. I'm sure you can hear it. Knocking hard. They need to partner with one of the big companies so they can get the funding to do this. But with partnering means that you're going to have a bunch of losers on the board of directors marketing team who are like, we need to make it an electric SUV. That's what the consumers want nowadays. And I don't want that. I want them to have the funding to make it the badass, awesome vehicle that it was meant to be and that we got to see in Back to the Future. That's what I want. Don't want any more electric SUVs. Sick of it. Absolutely stupid. Give me an electric sports car, please. But I knocked on wood, so maybe it won't happen, but... Regardless, we need to figure out who came out with the first midsize SUV, just like go. crossover car, uh, and like run an anti campaign on them because they're the worst thing that has ever happened to cars. They're just useless. whoever came out with the the Chevy Traverse and Equinox and all the other ones that look exactly like that. Oh, I can't stand them. They're awful. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to spend too much time ranting about it because we'll be here for the next hour and a half. So. Okay, let's do one of our company spotlights because I know we haven't gotten to them and we've been holding on to them for a while and these companies deserve recognition. So, I, Matt, do you have both of them? I have both of them. I'll run them together because they kind of work hand in hand and it'll be pretty smooth. Okay, all right, go for it. Okay, so there's these two companies. I saw them on the Product Hunt app. If you don't have it, go get it. It's fantastic finding new things in the Web3 world especially. One is called Mage and one is called Submarine.me. And basically what Mage does is it's digital medical records that you have on your phone. You can share it with physicians using a QR code. Pretty simple. You have all your records right there, saved on there. When you go to your doctor, they scan it and they get use of uh, those records. Super easy. You don't got to worry about tracking down your former doctor and getting that information. Submarine does something kind of like that. It enables you to share contact, uh, content that is unlockable with NFTs. My premise with this also works with medicine Instead of using the QR code, everybody gets a certain amount of NFTs that are minted to them. And then you just issue those NFTs to your doctor. And so when the doctor needs to access your records or whatever, they have their NFT, they can 
I don't, I don't know how it recognizes it, but whatever, it recognizes that NFT, and then they're able to go in and check your records. It's simple, easy, and it's across the nation. It's one system, super, uh, and we don't have like four different systems like we do now where they don't all talk to each other and you gotta transfer stuff from one doctor to another. It makes it fantastic because it's all on your little iPhone. You don't gotta worry about like carrying a paper book of actual files that have come from an office drawer somewhere in your old doctor's office. Oh baby, you know what makes me excited? Web3 tech that works in the real world. Yes, and particularly in medicine in my part, I'm so excited for it. We need it. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to disrupt the whole medical rep. Like like the records and the way that you get from the pharmacist to the actual doctor's office to the insurance to all that stuff, like that whole thing is just messed up. You've told me about it so many times, and the more I hear about it, the more I get a little annoyed. I'm like, why have we not fixed this yet? And the great thing is, is if you do it and you put it in the Web3 world and anybody that has these NFTs, which would mean all the patients that have the NFTs, as well as the doctors that are using them, they would have voting rights in this sense. And then in that sense, they can actually change how these products are done. So that way, obviously, you got to have a legal team to figure out if it's done, but they can actually change the systems. As it is now, we have like four different main systems and they're all hot garbage and they don't work well for the patient and they don't work well for the physician. Needs to be fixed. Just like John's real estate world, the medicine world is operating in the 90s and it needs to be fixed soon and it'll make things so much better. 90s? You guys are ahead of us. We're in the 80s. I, I was being generous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you and education are still stuck in the 90s, though. Yeah, yeah. God, what a horrible person to be in bed with, the education world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's awesome. I think that's really cool. I'm going to link both of those. I think they solve true problems. And on top of that, everyone kind of makes... All right, so like the new hot thing on Twitter is now like DAOs, which is a DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Some I, I always forget every time. Cody makes fun of me every time, and it's fine. It's okay. Cody, you're going to hear this, and you're going to make fun of me. I get it. I deserve it. But I deserve it. The point is not everything needs to be a DAO, and the purpose of a DAO is to be able to vote on things and see what the organization actually wants and to pass it through and make sure that everyone gets their say. It's the Web3 version of a democracy, essentially. But this is a good use for a DAO. This actually makes sense. And so not everything needs to be a DAO, but I feel like it could have some good uses in medicine. Yeah, I feel like it's a perfect case, especially because now patients are required to have access to all the records electronically. So that way you can see them at any time. You can get your tests back before you even go to your doctor and talk about them, which has its pros and cons. But like, if we're going to do that, we might as well do it this way, have it good. And that way the patients can say, okay, this system is broken on our end. This is how we need to fix it. The doctors say the same thing. This is broken on our end. We need to fix this. And it actually gets done as is we've We've got four systems that are broken and they really, really need to be fixed before I get in medicine because I've got two more years before I get there and I really hope it's done by then. We're moving at lightning speed. I really hope so. And too many middlemen. Way too many middlemen. Oh, the middlemen. Don't get me started <laughs> yeah. on the middlemen. We don't have time. We don't have time. <laughs> okay. All right. This is a blast. We're definitely over our normal time. Which I guess is fine. And the worst part is, is I lied to you guys. We had, I planned so much awesome stuff on a couple different topics. And I also would like to point out that I totally am going to stop lying and saying, hey, look, we'll see you on Friday or we'll see you on Monday because sometimes things happen. So instead, we're going to see, we're going to say, see you next show. That's what we're going to do. We're going to keep it open-ended because we'll be back eventually, as we always do. I love this project. It's so much fun. We're almost at 75 episodes, which is super cool. But... We have some great, 
awesome topics for next time. Very excited about them. And we're going to see you when we see you. See you then. See you when we see you.